Hi, it's David Woodwell with another episode of Pennsylvania Legacies, talking with people in the environmental conservation-related fields who make Pennsylvania a phenomenal place to be. And today is no different. With us today is Oliver Griswold, former aeronautical engineer turned rancher in Allegheny County, Pennsylvania, scant minutes outside of downtown Pittsburgh. And backstory, I think we first met in 1975 at school in New Hampshire. So this goes back a ways and then reconnect a couple of years ago here in Pittsburgh area. So welcome, Oliver. Thanks for being here. Uh, thanks for having me, David. So people think of ranches. They think of windswept plains, maybe out in the prairie, the mountains of Colorado, you know, big hats, big boots. Uh, you're in Allegheny County, Pennsylvania on a ranch. How's that work? Yes. Well, we're not the windswept plains of Montana, but we're on approximately 180 acres of land yeah. in northernmost Allegheny County. And, yes, we run 70 head, 77 head of Scottish Highland cattle and also heritage Berkshire hogs on this land. So, I mean, that's, that's sort of not what people think of when they think of this area. Well, yes and no. Today, they don't think of that. But 20, 30, 40 years ago, there were cattle up where we are. There were farms up there producing beef, producing pork. Uh, poultry, etc. So, in the not so distant past, there were animals on the same land. So, what's the difference between a ranch and a farm? I the difference to me is a farm is you're dealing more with crops and produce and vegetation type products, whereas a ranch you're primarily concentrated on raising livestock, and that's what we do. We principally raise livestock, the cattle and the hogs. We also do a little bit of sugaring, uh, maple syrup, and uh, some honeybees, but uh, they're ancillary. So, forty years ago, if you'd asked me if you were going to be a rancher, I'm not sure that's what I would have said. How'd you no, get here? No, <laughs> but 40 years ago, you said that St. Paul's would have uh, Scottish Highland cattle no. on campus. No. So uh, things change. Yes, uh, I guess the biggest uh, motivator for me to look into this were, was the health of my parents at the end of their lives. And both my parents had been very were very healthy throughout their lives, and our family histories were very strong. But unfortunately, my mom wound up with a host of medical issues, as did my father, uh, kind of early in their lives. And I started to question why. You know, here I am, and I've got a young family and young kids, and what's happening? Am I going to go down the same path? And I didn't want to go down that path. And so I started looking into it. And the more I looked into it, I got into the food aspect and what were we eating and how had our food changed from 50, 70 years ago, perhaps, and even before then. And going through that investigative journey, I came to the conclusion that while my parents and most people were following the governmental regulations, unfortunately, uh, those regulations were a bit misguided, perhaps, and our food had changed underneath our feet in those passing decades. Um, so getting, getting to that, I discovered Joel Salatin's farm, Polyface, down in Virginia, and Joel is sort of a luminary in the whole field of sustainable and natural beyond organic uh, farming, and he's, uh, I visited with him and spent some time down there looking at that, and you mentioned earlier the, the windswept plains of you know, Colorado and the mountains and everything else. Well, you go down to Joel's place in Virginia, and it could be a national park, and it probably should be a national park, because here you have unbelievable beauty in the Shenandoah Mountains, 
along with all these animals that are being raised in a healthy manner, in a natural manner, mimicking nature. There's no pesticides, there's no chemical, there's no hormones, there's no antibiotics. Uh, there's no need for veterinarians um, because it's a healthy ecosystem. And this really intrigued me and captivated my mind. And I was determined to look into doing this myself, possibly, because I'd always really enjoyed the outdoors. And while I started in aeronautics, I went into IT and computers. So I'm sitting there at my desk behind a screen 12, 14 hours a day. And I sort of thought, well, this would be wonderful to get outside and fresh air and perhaps live a little bit more naturally myself. That's gutsy. <clears throat> you know, that's, a, uh, that's one of those. Yeah, big, talk, to my, big, talk to my family. <laughs> yeah, that's one of those big you know, mid-career careers going on. And you decide to upend it and start walking around with cattle. Yes, and it's absolutely wonderful. Uh, there's something to be said for slowing down, but in many respects, this isn't slowing down because there's so much to discover and there's so much to learn. And uh, today, with technology and what we can learn and apply it to these systems, you might su surprise you, but I am absolutely uh, ecstatic and optimistic about the coming robots and AIs because what we're, we're going to be able to do relative to producing the rest of the foods we eat, principally the the grains and the and the produce and such, uh, we're going to start to be able to raise these items that we're presently raising in huge, vast monocrops out in the Midwest where we get these huge fields of corn and soybean. And unfortunately, that's a very unnatural way of raising foods and probably... Uh, the research is showing that probably in the last 70 years or so, those crops have lost anywhere from 30 to 70 percent of their nutrition simply because we've depleted the soil through our practices. What the robots and the iron can allow us to do, and what some people are doing in the permaculture world already on smaller scales, is to effectively be able to raise these crops intermingled in a biodiverse uh, technique at a large scale and start to get back to where nature started with. Okay, if you go back to before the dawn of agriculture, uh, everything worked. I mean, the, the whole earth, if you look at the whole blue marble, everything had something to eat, everything lived, everything died, everything recycled, it all worked. Uh, when we first put that plow into the earth and started mining the carbon that was in the earth, we got a tremendous bounty. But you look at the Fertile Crescent now in the Middle East, it ain't so fertile anymore. And the same thing's happening to our Midwest with other casualties, such as the algae blooms in the Gulf of Mexico, et cetera, et cetera. So I think we are on the cusp of an opportunity to start to really go back in time to a, a more nutritious, more healthy ecosystems that will provide us with better foods and hopefully make us healthier in the process. So how'd you pick cattle and which breeds? Why'd you pick your breed? Right. Uh, cattle, um, why did I pick cattle? Uh, you need a large ruminant. Cattle are, are big ruminant animals. They're domesticated uh, ruminant animals, uh, analogous to bison or wildebeest. Um, and you need them to have pasture. If you don't have those big ruminant animals, you wind up with uh, brush and then you wind up with forest. And eventually, in the old days, you know, lightning would hit and it would burn down and now you got pasture again and uh, the cycle starts again. However, we're not allowed to let the woods burn anymore, so you need something to keep it open. In the modern era, we use tractors and brush hogs and stuff, or we plow up the fields. Or you can put in vast herds of big ruminant animals that go in, and it's called rotational grazing, mob grazing. 
uh, our entire herd, I move it every single day during the grazing season. And the reason for that is I'm trying to mimic what the bison or the wildebeest are doing. That herd is not staying in the same place for, for two months and just milling about. They're constantly moving forward. They're grazing everything in their path. It's intense disturbance. But when they do that, it creates an incredible habitat and environment, principally for all the things that live under the ground, to absolutely flourish. Because all that bacteria that's coming out of the cow's back end is getting dropped onto that soil. When they crop off those tons of forage above the soil, a commensurate amount of tonnage of roots dies below the surface. Now your microbes, your bacteria are going to town and eating all this stuff, this dead vegetation down there, creating microchannels. We get the rains come down. Now we have a sponge for that water to be held in. Okay, so now we get a drought. The soil has been holding things. Um, and it also encourages a diversity of plant matter in that pasture. It's, it's not one kind of grass or one kind of clover, mm-hmm. as far as the eye can see. It's different kinds of things. So I needed cattle because I needed something that could do that job. That, that's the first-line job of maintaining good pasture. You have to have cattle. The cattle I chose to go with were Scottish Highlands. Uh, there are a number of reasons for that. Probably one of the big ones is just aesthetics. They're absolutely beautiful and magnificent animals. They're very photogenic they're based very on your fo- Twitter feed. Yes. They're very photogenic. But they are also probably the oldest breed left of domestic cattle that are, are very unchanged by man. They originated up in, in the Scottish Isles and such, um, but they were horrible performers in feedlots. They just don't do well in the feedlot. They're not a feedlot animal. And consequently, not a lot of effort went into trying to make them bigger or grow faster. Uh, so they retained their natural ability to match with their natural environment. So I'm not going out there and feeding them grains every day to, to boost them, you know, to give them that extra energy. They manage to do that all on their own with uh, with the pasture that they have. And again, because of our methodologies, the way we go through the pastures and they graze, they are actually increasing the nutritional quality of the very pastures that they're eating. Uh, I'll give you another example. Our soils are, are deficient in certain minerals and, and, and things in different areas of the farm here. And we do supplement the cattle with a mineral bin. But rather than have a, a one mineral bin with a mixture of different ratios of minerals, our bin has 16 different bins with 16 different minerals in it. And the cattle, you can watch them. They'll come up to it, and they'll lift the, the, the rubber flap, and they'll go into one bin, and they'll go, no, and move the next one, take a lick, and the next one, no, and the next one, two licks. What they're doing is they're uptaking the things that they know they're deficient in. And... We humans nowadays, we're, we're blinded by the soft drinks and the sugar cookies and everything else. We have no clue what things really taste like anymore. A little challenge for the listeners, go a month or two months without eating any additional sugars or anything and taste how, just how sweet everything else tastes all of a sudden. It's absolutely amazing. But the cattle retain this ability. They know what they need. And when they're going through the pasture, and if you watch, watch them when I let them into a fresh piece of pasture, they're not just eating anything in front of them. They're picking and poking through there to find the things that they know they need right now. Similarly with the mineral bin, they can up and take what they need. And the beauty of the system is now they dump it out the back end. Some of it comes out the back end right on the very land that's deficient in that particular mineral to start with. So they're self-amending and self-repairing the land as they go along. And I don't need to do a whole lot of, uh, you know, tests and such and try and yeah. put it on myself. So there's really land reclamation too. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. The best indicators that you're doing something right is you start seeing a lot more coyotes, for instance. Uh, why? Because you got a lot more groundhogs, you got a lot more mouse and voles. Everything is in balance, okay? And the birds are everywhere. If you don't have all those other animals with your cattle and with your hogs, you're, you're doing something wrong. And odds are you're going to wind up with some problems. You're going to have some sick animals because pathogens are going to be allowed to stay there. Nothing brings a bigger smile to my face than seeing a whole flock of birds following the cattle and dropping down into the pasture or lighting on their backs and picking some flies off and whatnot because they are doing their jobs. Everything in nature has a job. Everything eats something else. Uh, it's kind of ironic that cattle actually don't intentionally kill anything because what they are doing is actually keeping the pasture alive. If they were not there, that pasture would disappear. It would get crowded up by the shrubs and the brushes and, and eventually by the trees and the canopy would shade out and you would have no pasture. So the pasture, even though it's getting nipped off a little bit, yeah. it's not being killed. It's, the ruminants are keeping it alive and allowing it to be there. So are you alone in doing this? Is there a whole lot of ranch work going on in Pennsylvania and elsewhere at this level? Or are you really up against sort of the factory feedlots and everything. Well, there are certainly much, many more people do, doing what I'm doing today than, than there were 5, 10, 15 years ago, which is a very encouraging trend. Um, but it's also, in, from the consumer's side of things, it winds up being very confusing. Uh, because unfortunately, as with any industry, you know, crabs, seafood, everything else, there's a tremendous amount of greenwashing that happens. And that becomes one of the challenges, is how to, to communicate and educate your customer as to what they're actually getting and, and what is going into it. So how do you do that? I mean, you're sell, what, what are your outlets for the beef? Right. We sell through a combination of wholesale outlets, uh, um, grocery store type outlets, uh, restaurants, and uh, obviously uh, retail, direct-to-consumer uh, sales. Um and our biggest challenge is we are just a lot more expensive than than other people. Uh, we don't take in any government subsidies. We're not taking advantage of the, you know the, the the big you know corn halls and stuff uh, to, to feed the animals. So it, it's a much more expensive process. But at the end of the day, if we factored in all the costs associated with growing those confinement animals, which we don't do today. That would be much more expensive than, than the way we're doing it. But that's a very difficult uh, thing to communicate, and it's, it's, it is a big issue. Well, and not just the cattle. You added in a few years ago some other animals. Yes. We raise heritage hogs, and we actually started we started with them, too, at the very beginning, in much smaller numbers. Um, and the hogs range through principally woodlots, but we also get them out onto the pasture from time to time as well. Um, and those animals are fed a supplemental ration that, that we get from the um, uh, Finger Lake region up in, in New York. It's an organic feed that's done very well by folks up there, uh, Klaus and Mary Howell uh, Martins up there. So what are the biggest challenges you've got to having a ranch in sort of a suburban area? Uh, the biggest challenge is, is, is the land itself. The land we're on is not our own land. It's a shared use space. And that is a challenge uh, because we do not have 100% control over it. So things like uh, fencing and things of that nature, it becomes much more of a labor-intensive process. Um, however, the benefits are you are close to a lot of people. A lot of people are driving by. They're seeing the animal. They enjoy the beauty of the animals. 
a lot of people comment to me, it's kind of like having National Geographic on a commute or outside the front door for the neighbors. Um, but as an example, I don't have chickens. And the reason I don't have chickens, which would be absolutely wonderful, is I'm scared to death that the flock would raid the neighbor's garden and flower beds, etc. And then I'd be in real deep doo-doo. Uh, I'd like to have the chicken doo-doo because yeah. that helps my pasture. And I'd love to have the chickens because they do a bang-up job and following the cattle and cleaning up the uh, – keeping the fly population down and such. Um, so that that's a disadvantage when you're cheek to jowl with uh, suburbia, which it's all becoming very rapidly. Um, it becomes becomes harder harder to do some of the things you would like to do. So going back to your original motivation for this, the health and the the benefits of a different food source, is that working? I think it's working for me. I feel pretty good, and I, that's what I eat. <laughs> and it's and the food the the beef's being accepted. I mean, you're at farmers markets. You've been in other markets, and right. other, but people are accepting. You've got a good clientele going? Yes. Yeah, we have good clientele going. And again, this is not for everybody. You have to understand what it is and appreciate it for what it is. We are not going to compete, for, for instance, on, say, tenderness outside of the filet uh, with the average age 13-month-old animal coming out of the feedlot. Uh, that's a baby. A cow isn't mature until they're three years old. The average age of uh, processing for animals is two and a half to four and a half years of age. It's a different animal. It's it's much more of a perhaps a traditional you know European beef model, which is an older animal has a lot more flavor in it because it's a mature animal. Um, and so that's what we're we're going after. And those are the people we look to connect with. All right. So this is local, sustainable. Beyond organic, I think you said. Mm-hmm. All, how, the, all, all the buzzwords all are the flying buzzwords. everywhere. Well, that's, so. a, that's the question. How do you figure out, See, that, as a consumer, it's incredibly what difficult. to do with this? That's incredibly difficult. For instance, um, you know, local. You know, people automatically assume, well, if, the, if it's local, it's great. Well, no. <laughs> it, not necessarily. <laughs> Everyone assumes if it's organic, it's great. Well, no, not necessarily. In my world, organic stands for something, but take an organically fed beef cattle. It could be in a CAFO, being fed fed organic grains, okay? Everything's organic so far, and then it's processed. It's it's 100% organic, okay? But it's not natural. That's not a natural, that's not a healthy animal, okay? That's a sick animal, and I don't want to be eating a sick animal. I want to eat a healthy animal. Um, So it's... um, the buzzwords are they're very confusing at the end of the day to people. And to answer your question, what is a consumer to do? If you're really vested in it, you don't have to go through the lengths that I went through and start a ranch or a farm yourself. It's not necessary. However, it does pay to do a little bit of legwork, go out and visit the operation, ask a lot of questions to try and distill what's actually transpiring. So how does, in in your head, how does the engineer coexist with the rancher? Oh, my gracious. You want to talk about water pumping problems and (laughs) (laughs) providing electricity? And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of this stuff that keeps me occupied to try to to better the systems, to make the uh, whole process more efficient. As we've grown and gotten larger, um, we're still a family operation, and um, it 
becomes necessary to improve the methodologies such that you have a little bit of free time off and can do some other things with the kiddos and stuff. And you don't have a mass revolt on your hands. <laughs> and social, you guys are being on social media. I suppose right? so. Uh, I just started when we started, um, one mistake we made, we started back in 2010 and, and I was just easing into it. Uh, I'd done a lot of research. I'd visited a lot of farms, spoken with a lot of people it's like anything, when you get your first animal on the land, you, you don't know anything. It's, you're, you're starting from ground zero, and what the heck am I doing? And I wanted to grow the herd and understand what I was doing, improve the land, reclaim that land before we started selling. I should have started selling right then, but we didn't. So when we started selling, I started just uh, posting daily, and it's just been a habit, uh, almost uh, a discipline for me to go through to do. And has that been successful? Oh, I think it's been successful in terms of communicating what we're doing. Nothing's as good as coming and seeing it for yourself. Obviously, you can cherry pick the pictures you're showing. Um, yeah. But so, uh, you know, for the for the serious eater, for the serious connoisseur, you got to get out there. You got to see what's going on for yourself to appreciate it, and then make up your own mind where you want to put your money. So, what's next? I mean, you guys have the seventy-seven head. Or whatever, well, the, and- yeah, the herd's growing, and. Um, so, and, and the hogs were up to about 150 head of hogs now. I, I think what's next is trying to figure out a way to incorporate some of the other animals that would be great to have with our current herd. And I've been uh, racking my brain on different uh, fencing uh, concepts to, to keep those critters in and from ranging into the neighbors. That's really the next big evolutionary step that we can take that would significantly help our operation. All right. So Northwoods Ranch, where do people find the wonderful product? How do they find you guys? Right. Well, you, you can head to our website, which is nwoodsranch.com, and find our contact information, all the social media links. From there, then you can give us a call or shoot us an email, um, and we have a list uh, where you can find our product and such. All right. Now, are you doing this barefoot? Before I forget. I do some of it barefoot. <laughs> what, what I discovered, you know, I went barefoot back in 2005 or something, and, you know, we still have uh, enough briars and thorns around <laughs> that uh, I don't know how animals do it, to tell you the truth. <laughs> it kicks my butt. And uh, I actually, I do know, if you, if you have time, if you can go slowly, you can get through anything barefoot and you know this morning i ran four miles barefoot now i ran on a road and a road is easy because it's smooth and nothing's going to nail you um but if you have to go fast and sometimes when you're dealing with animals you got to go fast then you can get you can get in trouble but (laughs) what's the what's the biggest surprise been to you as you entered this world of ranching from going behind screens to getting out all the time biggest change or biggest surprise I think perhaps the biggest surprise, but I'm not sure it was a surprise because I think I, I knew what I was getting into when I got into it. But um, I, I would say the biggest enjoyment is uh, really the aesthetic of, of, of nature and being part of something that is improving the environment, which is improving the habitat, which is bringing the coyotes in, which is bringing all these other animals into this area. Uh, to coexist and to help my animals. Um, the feeling that you get when you show up at 1, 2 in the afternoon to move the cattle to, to the fresh pasture. Why? Because you want that sun beating down on those plants, bringing all those carbs up to the tips so they get the best parts when they graze. 
this isn't a 6 a.m. dawn gig. This is a middle of the afternoon kind of gig. But when you reel back the fence to let them through, that's what they want to do. They want to go to the next piece of pasture. I want them to go to the next piece of pasture. And if I'm too slow, lane, too slow laying that next pasture out, they're mooing and hollering at me <laughs> to, to get going. And I reel it back, and they're you know, brushing by me, and uh, but oh, turning the horns so they don't nail me to get through to the, the ice cream in that fresh piece yeah. of pasture, all that good bits. So it's a very harmonic um, relationship between myself and these animals. We're on the same team. We're, we're working towards the same end. Uh, what my objective and hope is that I'm providing them with a great life with one bad day at the end, which is the best thing I can hope for myself. Well said. Uh, well, with that, Oliver Griswold, Northwood Ran- Northwoods Ranch in Allegheny County, Pennsylvania. Check out their website, follow their Twitter feed, etc. Thank you so much for being here, and uh, go move some cattle. I will. Yeah, we're going to cross the road. Thanks, Alex. Pennsylvania Legacies is a production of the Pennsylvania Environmental Council. The views expressed by guests and even by the host are not necessarily those of the Pennsylvania Environmental Council. Our thanks to Regan Curry, who produces this show for us, and also to Very Tight Recordings and Matt, who provides us with the studio space in Sharpsburg, Pennsylvania. Check him out. It's a great facility if you need recording work. And look for the Pennsylvania Environmental Council at www.pecpa.org. Thanks for listening.